Hi, my name is Dave Stitt and a very warm welcome to my Coaching Conversations podcast. In this series, I'm talking with senior people from industry, academia and the world of politics about them and their experience of coaching. My aim is to raise awareness of what coaching is and isn't, so as a practice it becomes more widely used in the construction industry, making things better for construction people. I hope you enjoy listening and find these recordings useful. Today I'm talking in conversation with Andy Bull. Uh, now Andy's a senior professional in the construction industry. Um, so Andy, r- r- rather than me try and introduce you, how, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Good morning, Dave. So morning. I'm currently a senior equity partner with Arcadis. So I've got something like 30 years experience in the construction industry. I've been with Arcadis for the last five years. I did 25 years with Costain before that. So I've worked at the senior levels on both the contracting and the consulting sides of the industry um, with a few secondments into client organisations on the way as well. So quite rounded. Um, engineer by background, went on a fantastic training scheme through Costain to become chartered at a very young age and went on to get my fellowship of the ICE, but then kind of switched tracks and went more into leadership and management um did a series of APM exams but then actually went on to do my institute of directors exams as part of a a, pl- a succession plan to be on the exec board so that's kind of me as a, a fairly well well balanced and well-rounded construction professional i would say mm. so so in, interesting Andy. i'm familiar with institution of civil engineers member myself uh, and also APM, but t- t- tell us a little about a little bit about the Institute of Directors. So the Institute of Directors, this was a really interesting experience for me because um, it was Costain sponsored me to do it as part of a, a, a I'd been shortlisted to be on their exec board, and so I went on a course to learn about the duties of the statutory duties of being a director, um, and there was a, a diploma involved and. Um, a number of exams but it was the better bit was meeting other senior Mm. executives from outside of our industry so very different perspectives on life you got to share and network with those and what was most fascinating for me was that most of the people around the table were already directors and had been for some time and were then subsequently doing a course to find out what they should be doing and I was at the completely opposite end of the telescope saying well I'm not yet one but I'm aspiring to be one and I'm fortunate enough that my company's invested in me to, to get ready for the role. So that was really, really good. Um, and, and it covered the breadth of marketing, strategy, finance, um, as well as your statutory obligations, you know, what you could end up being sued for or going to jail for so that you know how to take the job seriously. Mm. So, that, so I imagine that informs you in the job you're doing now, equity partner. Uh, it was part of the reason I went there. So I... I you learned all the different company structure types. Um, Costing is a PLC, which, which um, drives a certain set of behaviours, not unique to Costing, to, to anybody that is uh, owned by shareholders. There's city expectations, which can cause a tension between long-term and short-term objectives. You know, long-term growth of the company versus short-term, we must show results to the shareholders each quarter. Um, 
I was interested in what it would be like to work within a limited liability partnership. So effectively, in this situation, uh, the company is owned by a number of what were employees. You're not now an employee, but you're an owner of the company. Um, so that was one of the reasons that attracted me to Arcade. It's not, not the only one. I wanted to go and experience you know, Premier League consulting on the inside rather than just observing it from the outside. Um, Arcade is a slightly nuanced version of that because it was the old EC Harris company that was the LLP. Um, but then they were acquired by Arcadis, which is a Dutch global company, so which is also a PLC. So it's, it's slightly um, different, but interesting, shall we say. Mm. Mm. So, so and, how, and how long have you been at Arcadis? Five years I've been with them now. I joined in 2017, so wow, just coming up my fifth anniversary. That's, that's scary, Andy. I, I remember you. Uh, <laughs> I remember you leaving Costine and going to there five years. Gosh, that's gone very quickly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because as of last Monday, the first of August, I'm 21 years uh, running my own business, and uh, I really can't believe that. Okay. Uh, it does fly quickly. It really <laughs> does. <laughs> yeah. And and so far, so five years in, twenty five years with Costain. Mm. How what what are the what are the main differences uh, between working for a, a contractor and a and a consultant? Uh, they're different business models. They're different types of people. Um, different relationships with customers. Uh, that's one of the biggest things that I've found in terms of. Um, positions I've been able to get into in terms of exposure with very senior industry people um, and the difference between being employed to just go and build something versus can you give me some professional advice on this please right it's, it's still little old Andy with the same information in my brain right <laughs> but you might get treated somewhat differently in terms of where you get invited in to uh, provide the advice um, yeah. so that's been interesting uh, and I think the global reach of Arcadis and the branding they've got gives access to some very, very um, high profile but meaningful projects around the globe. But just to give an example of what I've done in the five years I've been with them, I spent a year looking after the water sector, but then I've had two years where I was effectively leading on the Lower Thames Crossing, um, which if you're not familiar with, that's the largest roads programme in the UK in a generation since we built the M25, an eight billion pound new crossing downstream of the Dartford uh, Tunnel, Dartford Bridge. Um, and more recently, I'm now in a, a senior role on High Speed 2. I've, I've got some 1800 designers working for me across perhaps 36 offices around the globe. Um, and we're doing the detailed design on 90 kilometers of the, the new railway line in between London and Birmingham. Fantastic, fantastic, uh, Andy. We're, we're going to come back to that. Uh, but you said something a moment ago. It's it's the same little old Andy with the same information in my head. Well, well, I, I don't believe you because I, I know you, Andy. You, you are a serious learner. You're really hungry for learning. Mm. Uh, so it's not the same information in your head. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fair. <laughs> so, so, t so t t tell us. Um, I'm curious about that, Andy. Where, where does that come from? Your your desire to constantly learn and grow and develop. 
Where does it come from? I don't know. I've always been chipped that way. It's something about me. I'm restless. You know, I'm not very good at sitting on a beach doing nothing on holiday. I need to be reading or actively doing sports or things. But it's what keeps me fresh and motivated. I find it genuinely interesting. Yeah. So you're right. Ever since I've known you, ever since I, well, ever since I can remember, all the time I was with Costent, I was always learning on training courses, developing either on formal ones or informal self-taught ones. Uh, and you're, you're right as well, actually. One of my biggest drivers to move from cons contracting to consulting was this internal desire to understand more. Uh, Costain were going through a strategy where they were trying to, um, where they were intentionally diversifying away from just the construction side and growing their internal professional services consulting piece of the business which I found interesting that that's what they wanted to do. But um, I thought, well, if this is the big game in town, what better way to learn about it than go and find someone who's really, really good at it and get a job on the inside rather than trying to copy them from the outside. Yeah. Um, so, so, and yes, I just, I'm, I'm constantly curious. I think the world is a fascinating place. And, and the day I don't find something interesting I, I don't know what will happen, but I just can't believe that's ever going to happen. Every day I find something that I've not come across before and I just want to learn more about it. Yeah. That's, I, think, I, I, think that's, I think you and I are kindred spirits, Andy. I think that's what kind of, I don't know, that's what attracts me to you because I'm that way myself. I, I remember getting a book off this guy who authored the book and he wrote on the inside to, to Dave, uh, somebody who... Uh, I've learned to know a little bit about and uh, somebody who is really hungry for learning. And, and that's mm. kind of, and I think what's behind it for me is I'm just curious about the world. I'm curious about people. I want to try and understand how the world works and I want to try and understand how people work. But as I get older, I've kind of realized that that ain't ever going to happen <laughs> because it's too complex to understand. So now I'm trying to, I'm trying to roll with 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 the complexity and the chaos and 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 work with that rather than you know desperately trying to understand it and uh, I feel a bit easier about things um and and the other thing Andy is what one of the things I notice working with people in the construction industry I'm kind of 46 years in the construction industry very few people talk about learning you know there's, there's only a few of us most of the other people are so focused on delivery and technical problem solving. So when I come across somebody who, you know, mentions the word learning, I find that I'm attracted towards them. Mm. And, and and I think that's, I think that's a piece of work we got to do in the in the industry so. and so get to get people thinking more about, you know, what 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 they're learning, what they need to learn, uh, you know, to to grow and develop and flourish. I agree. There's a number of dimensions I could go here because I think. Well, firstly, the facts. Yeah, the world is moving at an increasingly fast space, pace. Mm. The world is changing. Um, so if you don't want to learn, you're going to fall behind. That, that, that's just a, a reality. You can do that, and you can get... There, there's plenty of people who get to a level they're comfortable with, and, and I'm not criticising. There's nothing right or wrong about this. And you can then kind of jump off at that level and say, right, I can now perform at this level for a while. But I do see a lot of that and it, it's getting very outdated very quickly, particularly when you've got to think in a leadership context where you've got new generations coming in 
um, Gen Z, Gen Y, millennials, and so on, who who want different things. Um, and as a leader, you've got to be able to connect and resonate with your team. And if a lot of your team just see you as out of touch, I think that's going to really handicap you in your own ability to perform. Um, I think the other thing is, for, for me personally, I I know I get bored quite quickly. Right. So, so one of the things, I, I have a fairly low patience threshold, um, but this learning and curiosity keeps me fresh. And, and the upside to this is I've managed to work in so many different sectors and so many different kinds of projects. Um, whereas I see some people who have specialised in a relatively narrow field their whole life, which is great. As I say, I'm not knocking this. There's no right or wrong. But for me, I wouldn't perform at my best then. Um, I, I perform better going into things that I know almost nothing about. Um, and I just look, thrive on that challenge of how quickly can I learn this and, and get to a level where I'm, I'm perf- not just performing, but actually giving something back of benefit. And, and I also think the the ability to come in with broader and different perspectives really, really helps. You see teams get stuck in a rut because, well, we've always done it this way and we can't think outside of this box. Then you can come in with, well, what about A, B, C, D, E? One, two, three, four, five. Here's a whole load of different things we could try. Um, we're not going to do all of them, but let's just have a conversation and narrow it down to something that could be worth trying here. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And you're right, it keeps you fresh. Mm. It keeps you enthusiastic. Now, Andy, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember mm. when I was, a, 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 I must have been about 19. I'd just got a job as a setting out engineer. And um, and I remember one day the senior engineer who was 28 years old, 28 years old, said to me, he said, the bloody thing annoying about you, Dave, is your bloody enthusiasm. He said, it gets on my nerves. He said, wait till you're my age. And the industry, in this industry is beating the shit out of you. We'll see how enthusiastic you are then. <laughs> and that was kind of 40 odd years ago and i'm still as young and naive and enthusiastic now as i was then yeah i think, <laughs> I think that's balance. because i'm always learning that's uh, you know i, I yes. put it down to that i i think there's a there's a balance to be had for me i yeah I, I put myself in stressful positions you know, i don't have to do it but i do do it i think i have an obligation for the team around me to be upbeat and carry them through it there's no me coming into work sulking and moaning it's difficult so so this is perhaps one of my coping mechanisms i think i get mixed feedback i do seek a lot of feedback in what works and what doesn't but both for me and for my teams in general a lot of a lot of my teams say they like my enthusiasm and it helps it's kind of a a self-reinforcing thing that supports the rest of the team i am conscious that with some people i can be a little bit too far off the spectrum and they can find it a little bit um, too much so no i need i need to know when to dial it back but, but you need to have it there in reserve it's all, almost like your your battery isn't it to keep you going yeah. so so enthusiasm learning what, what, what uh, co- you know commitment to learning so what, how else would you characterize your your leadership style andy um i'd say it's developed and evolved over my career partly through lots of reading and learning more so through coaching and mentoring and learning how to seek feedback 
both from your teams, but also from an external perspective. So an objective third party observer watching you perform and being able to say, okay, this worked. Have you thought about some other ways of doing things? I think what's become increasingly um, important to me, I guess, is the starting point is uh, it's about relationships with my team. Mm. It's about understanding the team as a whole and how we collectively can perform at our highest. Uh, I think I've, I've come through, you know, we've come up through an industry that has developed in its style anyway. But if we go back to when I was younger, it was a, it was fairly hierarchical, command and control. You get told what to do. You don't think much. You just do as you're told. Uh, it, it's a mechanism, and there are times when that's appropriate. As we get involved in more and more, you use the word complex projects, where there's multiple stakeholders, multiple interfaces, um, large scale. It's impractical for one leader to be pulling all the strings and know everything. You've got to be able to have a team you can trust and rely on. Mm. And I think there's um, the other thing, I think this is something I learned off of you, but I've kind of taken and developed a bit. Uh, back in the old days, a lot of training was around you know, developing your weaknesses. And I think it was you told me, well, that's, a, that's a daft strategy. You want to play to your strengths, um, you want to be self-conscious about your weaknesses and cover them off in the team so someone else is doing them for you. So so my role's more about observing the team as a whole and making sure everyone in the team is playing to their strengths and are suitably aware of, and some are, are blissfully unaware of it. So my job's to give them the tough feedback to say, you have got a weakness here. You know, and we could work on it, but I'd really rather you just didn't bother going there. Let me get someone else in the team to do these bits. But this is what you're fantastic at. Mm. This is what I want you spending your time on. And so how do we optimise as a team, as a whole? Um, and part of the, so converting that into a leadership style. Um, I play massively on the concept of psychological safety. Mm. Um so creating an environment where the team wants to share stuff with me and feel safe sharing stuff with me, the more and each other. So the more open I can get the team to be together, the more honest the conversations we can have and the quicker we can actually cut to the chase and start moving forwards. Um, but it is all about building that trust and relationships and, and breaking down barriers. So the more you can get people to some of the best teams I've had the privilege to, to lead and or work in, while everyone had really defined roles and responsibilities, they knew that's what their primary job was, they weren't so precious about them that that's all they did. So if someone was either going on leave or you can sense in the team when some people are getting more pressured than others, to me the best teams are when uh, people spot that and say, hey, let me help you out and they'll know it'll be reciprocated. So the team starts working in each other's spaces, not to tread on each other's toes, but just to keep the whole machine moving. But that, that's what I like. Fantastic. So in, in, in amongst that, Andy, you mentioned coaching and mentoring. To mm. Tell us about and how it's, how it's been a contributor to your progression. T tell us a little bit about that. 
So I'll, I'll take you on a journey, I guess, because I, I guess journey. like lots of people in the construction industry, when I first came across it, they were just words. They didn't mean anything, didn't know what it was. Um, and I've had mixed experiences. You know, some I've, I've gone, oh, no, don't get this at all. And others I've gone, now I get it. So it's so my first, if I can, if I'm in a position, I can give advice to your listeners is try a few different things out. And if it's not working, don't stress about it. Just put that back in the box and say, okay, that one's not for me. Try something else. I think it's really important to find, I'll go into the differences between coaching and mentoring in a minute. From my perception, this might not be um, pure <laughs> or correct. And I do think the lines get blurred a lot anyway. And, and sometimes it matters and sometimes it doesn't. You know, it, it matters if you're taking an exam in it. If it's actually about improving your personal performance or your team performance, it, it's what works best, isn't it? Mm. So I think one of the most important things is whether it's a coach or a mentor, you've got to resonate with them. You've got to find someone that you have a connection with in some way or another. It might be that you just like them as a person and you've got something in common. It might be that you've got considerable respect for them. Um, it might be that they've done the job you're currently doing and struggling with, or they've done the job that you're trying to get to next and you're looking for advice on what do you need to do differently to get into that next role. And it may be about moving up the ladder, it may be about moving sideways into a, a different arena or a different speciality. Um, but I think it's really, really important if, if you can't resonate and connect with someone, you're going to go into some fairly difficult conversations and they have to be founded on a baseline relationship. I, I think the, and you can correct me here, Dave, I, I think the textbooks would kind of define mentoring as someone who can direct you and give you specific advice. You know, this is what I would do in your situation. A, a textbook coach asks questions and gets you to do the thinking. Um, and some people go, well, what do I need that for? But it takes you, because they, they ask you questions that you wouldn't ask yourself. And they get you thinking about things you wouldn't have thought about otherwise. So it it get, it get it's definitely, definitely helpful from that. Where I've probably blended the two, I, I've done a lot of my research has gone into the world of sports coaching because actually they're just a million miles ahead of us in business. Yeah, that's that's where it's at. Yeah, if you look at the amount of time they spend practicing mm. versus playing, you know, it's, it's ninety percent practicing, ten percent playing. Yeah. And in our industry, we're ninety nine percent. I say use, use the word playing loosely trying to perform on the field and occasionally stopping for breath for a bit of a teaching or a team build or something that may be called coaching or mentoring. So, so the, the gains that are available are massive. And, and uh, as an industry that does all their time coaching and invests lots in it, I thought sports was a good place to look at. I think it carries over really well in my brain as an analogy for how we should be using it, could be using it in this industry. If you think about a professional sports coach, they're observing the performance. You know, they're there at the time it's happening and they are giving critical but very specific feedback in terms of, well, I saw you doing this, but really you should be doing X, Y or Z. So I think it starts to blur the lines between mentoring and coaching. But it's what it is all about is 
performance enhancement and with the benefit of a independent third party objective view on it because mm. our industry is absolutely terrible for people thinking they know the answer mm. but it's it's not data based it's not driven on evidence it's just you know they've got an opinion but you've got to get this you know really factual data objective perspective and you've got to be ready to receive it you know it can be harsh and brutal it can be very invigorating that, that's where you need the relationships to help carry the messages mm. fantastic fantastic i guess the only thing that uh, <clears throat> the purest in me the purest coach in me would say is yes as a coach you observe and notice and sense and you reflect that back uh and you don't say you should be doing this and you should be doing that so so that's where that's where i would hold the the distinction between coaching and mentoring Co culture so so the purest of coaches you know mm. I, i'm a professionally certified coach with the international coaching federation and 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 i have to renew my uh credential every three years and if i started giving advice uh, and and suggesting things that they wouldn't renew my credential <laughs> i get i get that so i'm i'm respecting that side of the profession of coaching i guess this is where perhaps i'm developing whether it's whether it's the andy view on life and we need to create a new name for it um and, and let me take it to the next step as well because so I think there's a place for all these pieces, first of all. They all play yeah. a part, and it depends what you're... Tr what, let's start with purpose, and what's the objective you're trying to achieve. Um, if it's about a career development or career transition, I think it's quite useful to have a, a coach in your sense. You know, it can be an offline questioning, thought-provoking thing. If it's about team performance, and this is something I hold quite true and strong. I increasingly think it is the role of the leader to be the coach of the team. Mm. I think there's an inherent weakness in um, a completely, an independent professional coach who you, you say you're observing, but you're not because you're not sat there in the team watching the team perform. <laughs> you, you, you're seeing what they do when they come and talk to you or you're seeing what they do when they're on an away day together but that's not the same as real life mm. watching them day to day in real life performing that's where the money's at that's where they are or aren't performing that's where they need to be given the feedback and and this and it's it's not binary there is a scale between the directive mentoring i'm telling you this is what i want you to do or this is what you should do versus the um let me ask you some questions and you go and have to think about it it depends on the circumstance um for sure the posing questions and getting the recipient to think about it and come up with their own answers is more powerful for long-term change mm. but it takes a lot longer to implement mm. um recently i've been parachuted into a few fairly high profile you know, turnaround projects where the client's expecting almost instantaneous results that may be completely unrealistic but but nonetheless they want to see results quickly and if i was going to say well i've i've posed some questions to the team and we're going to see how they get on they're like no no andy 
we're paying you to get us some results today and tomorrow. You know what the answers are. Just tell them, please, and get them moving on it. So, so there is that balance between getting the, you know, turning the dial and getting things moving, um, and then moving to a more sustainable pace of, of longer term development. Mm. Fantastic. It's interesting. Uh, mentoring. Uh, someone once told me mentoring is um, working with somebody who's on the same path as you but you're a long way ahead on that path. Yeah, that's good. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm making this up now. This isn't prepared. I guess mentoring is following someone else, benefiting directly from someone else's experience, isn't it? Mm. Whereas coaching is more creating your own pathway. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. Very good. So Andy, what 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 are you reading at the moment? You, you and I read a lot. So I read I'm loads, and I've always got a stack of things to be getting to. Um, so the book I I've just come back from holiday, and I think I crashed through about three books as well as learning a new hobby, which, which I won't go into for this podcast. But that that was a good challenge. Um, I read a book called The Trillion Dollar Coach. Right. Uh, it's about a guy called Bill Campbell, who was an American football coach in his younger years. But then in his older years, he was hired by uh, the CEO of uh, Google. Right. And he also worked for Steve Jobs in Apple. And he also worked for a number of the big, big Silicon Valley sponsors. So, um, and he he passed away so they wrote this book um and it was written by his coaches almost as a tribute to him and what they learned from him um and they did a quick kind of tot up and they reckon he they could attribute him to creating a trillion dollars of value in terms of what he added and the and the performance and support he gave for the, these huge companies like apple and google over in silicon valley and it's it's a nice story. It's a really nice story of lots of people giving lots of tributes to him and anecdotes as to, you know, his style, how he built relationships, how he delivered brutally tough feedback, but in a way that people didn't mind it, yeah. um, and the influence he managed to to have, and the amount of people that um, you know really had so much respect for him. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic, and and tr tr trillion dollar coach. A trillion dollar coach. Yeah, yeah, if you look it up on Amazon, yeah, by um, yeah. Eric Schmidt, who, who was the CEO of Google Alphabet. Mm. Um, he, he's put his name to it, but he's he's co-written it with some other people who were also being coached by Bill at the time. Mm. It's interesting, Andy, because that, that kind of makes that, that makes me think of myself a little bit. Uh, and um, I once did a piece of work for an outfit uh, with, with a leadership team. And uh, I, I worked with them for a year. And then I, I met the MD two years later. And I said, how's business? And he says, Dave, we had our best year ever last year. Amazing. And I says, whoa, that's a happy coincidence. He says, what do you mean? Well, I says, the year before you had your best year ever was the year that I spent working with you and your leadership team. <laughs> and he says, oh, yeah, all right. I get it, Dave. I get it. <laughs> And then I thought, God, it's a remarkable result. 
And then I started thinking about the other teams I'd worked with over the years and so many remarkable results, Andy. Mm. Like, and and, and what, what I mean by remarkable, remark-able. You know, the right people are talking about it a lot. Yeah. And, and yeah. so I then started to think, gosh, th- th- this, is, this, is, this is truly a happy coincidence. I, I work with a team of people and then most of them go on to deliver what I would call remarkable, or what they would call remarkable results. And, and, and I'm clear for myself, just going back to your trillion dollar uh, coach, I'm clear for myself, Andy, that, I, that they delivered the results. Hmm. They did the work. It's, it's not my work. You know, I, I made a, a contribution. I, I'll have had a conversation or two with them, which probably prompted them to take some action which, you know, then took some more action. And there are a million actions mm-hmm. that they took resulted in this remarkable result. So, so, I, so I, I'm clear in my own mind that it, it's not down to me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's completely down to them. And I'm making a contribution. I'm getting them talking. I'm slowing them down, you know, for half a day or a day because they're all rushing around fighting fires and headless, headless chicken stuff. And just getting them to think about what's important rather than urgent and then what they're going to do about it. And, and, and lifting them up to a leadership level as opposed to, you know, trying to solve technical problems that, you know, people two or three grades down in the organization <laughs> could be solving, yep. but aren't because they're disempowered because these people yep. upstairs are solving them for them. So, so yeah, that trillion trillion dollar coach you, you got me thinking there you know comparing you know what those great people have said about this great guy mm. and how i view my contribution That's good. my contribution to the world so i'm going to get that book and read it and reflect yeah. uh, him, him versus i i'm thinking as well if, if you've got if you've got obviously listeners this is a podcast um I'm, i recognize a lot of people don't have time to read books uh, and I went through a phase in my life where I was struggling with that just because of the pressures of work and travel and everything else. Um, but I found audio was an incredibly great way to carry on learning and consuming. And the amount of books that you can now get um, audio narrated, and then you can just listen to them in the car, on the train, when you're going for a walk or a run, and you can just consume them in bite-sized chunks. Um, or increasingly, I've found podcasts are a phenomenal way to consume information um i I came across the trillion dollar coach book on a podcast right but what um and i can't remember what one it is now but i find a a lot of people want in this day and age trying to promote their new books get themselves interviewed on a podcast Mm. and and they give away 80 percent of what the book's about in the interview so it's uh there's some really good ones out there really good ones Funny you should say that because I've been interviewed as a guest on half a dozen podcasts and I really enjoyed them. And it's kind of what inspired me to start doing this with you, Andy, and a few few other people. So yeah, there you go. So, so Andy, um, we've we got, we got a couple of minutes. I'm, I'm just wondering, um, a, 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 a lot of what my work involves now is, is uh, engaging with young construction professionals through my Coach for Results program. So I'm hoping that there's going to be some young construction professionals listening to our conversation here today. 
So, so opportunity to think back, Andy, re reflecting on, all, on, on your career, if you could give uh, a bunch of young construction professionals listening into this podcast, some, some of your wisdom, some of your top tips on how to uh, get from being a, you know, a really solid engineer to, you know, running a, a, a you know, a project with 1800 designers uh, reporting into you. What, what, what would be your, what would be your advice? That's a good one. Um, I'll probably rattle off a few here because this, this hasn't been pre-prepped at all. I think the first thing, and, and I picked this up, I, I was a young engineer and I got asked to go and present in front of the exec board. And I, I mean, I was a young engineer. Um, and I think I came up with a naive question to one of the non-execs saying, oh, how, how do I get to do your job in the future? Anyway, listen, son, just concentrate on doing the job you're doing at the moment well for now. But that was actually really sound advice. There's, um, you've got to be able to do what you're being paid to do well and then think about what you're going to do on top rather than it frustrates people if you're more worried about doing your next job but you're not actually getting on with the job that needs to be done right yeah, now. So, so make sure you've got the basics nailed. The, the next thing that was fairly obvious to me but the amount of times in my career I found people who just haven't seen it, so this is worth sharing, be very open-minded about what the next opportunity looks like. Um, for me, we talked earlier about my curiosity. My drivers have always been, am I, what am I going to learn out of this next job? Mm. Is it a job that gives me an opportunity to learn and grow in the direction that I want to? It doesn't have to be precise, specific, you know, on a mapped out career plan, but if it's taking me in broadly the right direction, um, that's what's important. And it doesn't mean about, this isn't all about promotions and going up the ladder. This is about breadth of experience. Um, and you may have to, you know, it's a corny phrase, isn't it? Think outside the box, but you know, think in parallel streams. Don't just think because you're an engineer, you've got to become a section engineer and an agent and so on. I, I got to a position in my career where uh, I was a bid manager. We won a big job. I presumed that my next role was going to be the project director. That's what I was aiming for. And the managing director who I, I worked in for at the time, he went, no, I want you to be the commercial director on this job. Right. Uh, and I went, oh, okay, if you think so. Fine. He, goes, he, goes, he goes, I do. He goes, I've seen what you're doing. I saw how you delivered the bid. He goes, I think you can do it. It'll make you a much more rounded person for the future. We know you can do engineering. Get your commercials as well. You know, and then, and then later on, I got put into business development and work winning and, and the whole rounded piece. But it was interesting when I landed on the job and you, you could hear all the people whispering in the background, can, can you do this? Why, why is he doing this? Uh, and a couple went, well, look, if the boss has said he can do it, he probably can. We ought to give him a chance. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that, that it's that, yeah, be, be open-minded about what is it you're trying to achieve and how you might get there rather than being too too fixed in what's important right now. Fantastic. So, Andy, any any last thoughts before we we close in a moment? If you've not, if you're listening to this because you're curious about coaching and you've not tried it, give it a go. You've got nothing to lose. Mm. And and if it does, if the first time you give it a go, it doesn't work, you know, perhaps just consider trying with a different person. 
with a different personality. You know, try, try. I've always you know, experiment and fail fast. You know, f fail forwards, fail safe, fail fast. It's a really good motto for life. Test things out. You know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. But don't just sit there wondering what if. Fantastic. Thanks, Andy. Uh, we've been in conversation with Andy Bull, uh, equity partner for Arcadis uh, and senior leader uh, in HS2. Great talking with you today, Andy. See you later. Cheers. Thank you very much, Dave. Bye. Today we've been talking about coaching conversations. I hope you've enjoyed listening and you are taking away something that you can use to make things better for you and those in your team or around you. To find out more, or even better, learn the essentials of a coaching style of management, check out Coach for Results book and course on our website dsabuilding.co.uk or simply click the link below. This is Dave Stitt and you've been listening to Coaching Conversations.